Did you hear that? I did. And that seems like the best way to start it. Do it again for me, please. And let us begin. <laughs> Wait, it's still going. Stop. All right. So, yeah, uh, I've already pressed record just so we capture all of this magic. The conversation of topic today with Lisa. The conversation of topic. Free play. I've got two things that I'm going to read. I think that are going to stimulate the conversation. To preface this, the conversation today is leads towards like free play being a positive, but we want to talk about the the reasons why it may not be, because I think that it gets too openly suggested as like a really positive experience. First, I'm going to read you the definition of free play as per UNICEF, and then I'm going to read you an article from the BBC. UNICEF defines free play is when children have full freedom to play in whatever way they want. They can choose everything. They have the freedom to select their play materials, interest area, and even the plot. During free playtime, children can express themselves in the way that they choose, depending on the day, time, and situation they are in. Every child is unique and has a different way of expressing themselves. So then it says, how is free play beneficial? Sometimes it's good for children to play alone or independently because they can be more creative when they are playing by themselves. When a child is playing alone, they're engaging themselves, using their imagination, and from very early childhood, they are being independent. Building independence at a young age is beneficial later in life. Free play is also important for learning problem-solving skills. They can try to solve a problem or come up with a solution on their own while playing. They need to express their own way of thinking and those skills develop when a child is playing independently. So those are the that's kind of a UNICEF's definition, and it, and it sits true with me of what I know as free play, and, it, and especially as having a young child, free play being a really positive thing that we were trying to encourage, and still encourage my daughter to experience like how to play on her own and be imaginative. So the next thing I'm going to read is this article, and the article on BBC is from the 25th of February, 2022. And the title of the article is, The Way We View Free Time is Making Us Less Happy. So some people try to make every hour of leisure perfect, while others hate taking time off altogether. Have we forgotten how to enjoy free time? Leisure is the prize, right? We work hard, so we want to play hard. We look forward to our time off, believing that the more leisure time we have, the better life will be. Enjoying that time or savoring that coveted end goal should come naturally. However, research shows that both having and deciding how to spend leisure time or free time can be very stressful. Some people feel enormous pressure to maximize downtime with best choices, researching more, anticipating, spending more money, not knowing the outcomes. But as data proves, this pressure to maximize fun when fun is presented to us might get in the way of our enjoyment of it in itself. Additionally, some people struggle to view leisure as worthwhile. These individuals, often in high-stress, high-paying jobs, prioritize productivity 
to the extent that they can't enjoy time off, often to the detriment of their mental health. However different their problems with leisure, both groups struggle with enjoying time off for the same reason. The way we perceive and value leisure has changed problematically. Understanding this evolution and finding ways to change our attitudes could be beneficial for everyone and help people to start enjoying themselves again. The article goes into more detail, and I'm going to share this article um, in the description. But I think this is what like is the core of what we wanted to talk about was this when we as facilitators offer up to our participants the opportunity to play, and this this can happen in throwing props on the floor and saying, you know, create your, your own activity or do fill this time. How the actual act of filling time can become really stressful and then detrimental to the group instead of being that positive thing that we expect it to be. Of Look, we're giving you freedom to be able to make choices and decisions. I'm excited. This is one of those topics where I wish, and maybe there's someone in the audience who could volunteer for this to be almost like a behavioral psychologist consultant that we could be like, hey, what's the theory or how do we explain this? Because, you know, the usual disclaimer, this is something I'm very curious about. This is a this is a podcast I want to listen to. Um, and I, I'm sure that there are expert voices who could explain a lot of the questions that we're going to bring up in this conversation. What made me want to talk about, I so appreciate, especially that article from the BBC, because what I just wrote down as you were talking was that difference between solo free play and group free play. And I think we're going to tease out some of those dynamics. But the original like seed for me to want to have this conversation with you was toward the the time, maybe late 2022, we were doing like a faculty end of year not really team development, but just like a gathering for a school that we work with a lot. And I said, you know what? These teachers have had a very, very stressful year. Let's design a station or a circuit. And I know we've described that in other episodes that is entirely free play. And I was so excited and I thought that I was so brilliant to design this thing. So one station was like playing with foxtails and comet balls. And one was throwing these little suction cups against a wall. Another one was making paper airplanes. And my thinking was, let's break the script of very strict PD and have this just be open-ended play. And what happened is that it didn't work at all. It actually... uh, And I haven't, I mean, nobody exactly said this, but my sense as a people who sort of can read groups was it was very stressful because as soon as I opened up the circuit, one person from every group was like, what are we exactly supposed to do? So there wasn't enough direction for it to feel fun. And I think it was what from the BBC, the pressure to maximize fun. I I think that was part of it, but it was also like, it wasn't enjoyable to start with zero direction. And I thought it was going to be this huge gift to give them complete autonomy and freedom. So I think that that's one thing that makes me sort of think like, what's that tipping point? I think the other piece that I want to acknowledge, and Rich has talked about this in workshops before, which is that, again, going back to the article, the pressure to start from scratch with no intended outcome can be in a social setting, very, very risky, right? And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this stuff is 
I think in some ways, the concept of complete open-ended free play is not inherent to our regular everyday programming unless we specifically make it. So on some level, you think, well, it's adventure, it's unknown outcomes, it's you know working on skills to navigate the unknown. And yet in a traditional, whatever that means, adventure learning sequence, we as facilitators are giving a lot of structure and a lot of guidance and a lot of information So even if we say we're at a low element, here's all the SOPs, here's your task, where's the free play really? So I think that I need to back up and appreciate that what I'm asking when I give people free play is actually can be very stressful. And so the question that I'm very curious about is what's the right cut for the right group? And yes, all the caveats, every group is different, blah, blah, blah. But Where's my thinking wrong on this, that free play is a gift? Well, I think that free play like has loads of has benefits in choice, right? Like it ties in a lot of the stuff that we talk about, like challenge by choice. People can ultimately choose what they're doing and, and free play has that notion of choice. I think it goes back to another episode we did where it was adventure and the unknown and talking about like how the unknown can be detrimental. And actually we want to preface stuff that I don't think there's a cut and dry, like it's either complete free play or it's complete structured play that I think we can tie in the free player notion to something that has some structure. Like I think of the the Mohawk Ironworkers Walk as a low element. And for those who are unfamiliar with it, sections of cable traversing elements in sequence together. That I, I recently did a workshop where I talked about the parameters of how to keep people safe. I was There were still some ba- the boundaries to the play. But then once I described the setup, like people can do what they want in this space. They go and explore. And that felt really positive. But on the flip side, I've done workshops in the past where I've put out props and said, okay, we're going to come up with our own activities. We're going to create our own activities with these props. It's very often flopped without some structure. And so the the thing I would give a shout out to is I went to a workshop, uh, AEE's International Conference, and it was run by Trevor Dunlap and Matthew Broder. I loved hearing about that workshop. It sounded so cool. But what was nice is it was creating activities or workshops, but we were giving framing. We had freedom, we had choice, up but under buckets, categories that gave us some structure and awareness. And I think that is where I think free play is, is beneficial. And I think there is a difference. The other thing I would just add is like, whenever you look up the benefits of free play, it's always centered around children especially infant-level children. And, and it shows the development of play as being a really essential skill. And there is a certain point at which we take that away from ourselves as adults, play anyway. I think that open-ended free play is somewhat is harder when societarily or based on the social norms, we don't actually have too much option to do that anyway. So we think we're giving them a gift to give them this un, this thing that they don't get very much. But like, if you're ever doing something for the first time or doing something that's unfamiliar, that's a really stressful place to be in. And so we think that we're giving them, you don't get this very often. So here is your opportunity. And it's like, well, what do I do with that? You know, they're not used to it. Totally. And I think that's where the, am I independent? Am I in a group? And all the work that I do at High Five is in a group context. And so I think that if I had had that same circuit for that same group of teachers, but they got to do it on their own, 
it would be entirely different because when you're being asked to do something for the very first time in front of other people without directions, I really want to remind myself how risky that is, you know, for other people. And I think that there's a way that this conversation can also go to a very micro level. And one thing that I have always struggled with in my facilitation and sort of never been sure what's the right cut is when you ask something like, you know, the way I start a workshop, I do open-ended introductions. I say, share two or three things about yourself that you would like other people to know. Now, what, like, I love that because I'm not saying you have to share your pronouns, you have, you know, how I feel about the fun fact thing, but I want people to have that option if they want, like, whatever they want to share about their identity. And it's super risky to go first, first of all, because whoever goes first is going to kind of set the the tone of what we expect people to share. But the, the the dilemma for me is always, where do I give an example and how leading is that example? And where do I let people really sort of define their own answer? And I think in particularly in the question of what creates the least stress on my participants. I've made this, you know, especially with younger audiences, but I, I've experienced this even with adults, that if you give them freedom of choice, and then you do give an example, it's so leading. Like, oh, well, think of an animal as an example, a cat. And then everyone picks cat because it's like you've, you've placed into the atmosphere the expected answer. It's not as free when you when you offer that out as well. So I think that there's, a, there's definitely a tough balance between complete lack of information and then some structure. But then how much does that structure lead the people? Then it actually isn't truly free in the first place. Right. And I think that there can even, and I'm one of these participants where I'm like, oh, I really could use an example, but I'm afraid to ask for an example because that seems kind of contrary to like the adventure modality. How does that really open-endedness fit and how do we have people sink into and try to minimize the pressure that comes with something that's completely open-ended I'm so curious about that. And one thing that I haven't done, which is kind of surprising, this is the best resources to ask our participants, like, hey, this can feel really risky. What would help you take the first step? You know, I, I really haven't sort of done that, you know, break the fourth wall or whatever it's called and just say, like, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? I think you and I probably do this naturally and that we give a little free play, then we give some structure, then we give a little free play. It's not like all black and white, one thing or the other. The one other thing I would mention around the free play and, and stress is that I think there's the assumption that giving free time to a group is easier for not just the group, but also for the facilitator. So like, I don't have to plan something in this section because it's going to be like, oh, I'll give them an opportunity to just do stuff. But the stress comes from the fact that you don't know where it's going to go. So... When you open up a time and say this is going to be a, a period of free play or this is going to be an opportunity for just people to relax or something, you don't know how long that stuff is going to take or whether or not the group is going to be bought into the idea. I've done one time where I was like, okay, here's some here's some activities, here's some props, go and start doing them. It's similar like with circuit, but like there's just some objects around, like fill the time. And then no one picks, stands up and does anything. In my head, I was thinking that was going to last an hour. Well, now no one's doing anything. So now I've got to fill the hour or conversely, it could be like this won't take long and then people just spend ages doing something and it eats into my agenda. So as much as I think it's a more stressful place to be in as a facilitator to have less structure anyway. Right. One of the 
huge benefits. I think of kind of open-ended play, like, you know, we've given the example of the Mohawk Iron Workers Walk with appropriate spotting, all the caveats. I think one of the benefits of that is it does decrease facilitator dependence. I think it can increase folks' self-efficacy and confidence that they can come up with their own games and guidelines. And I think that's really important, especially in a training environment. You know, what I was thinking about was in the summer of 2020, High Five had an open enrollment workshop called Gathering Again. It just seems like so long ago. And it was all these activities that we had either repurposed or created based on social distancing and masking and so forth. And they were really, I think, successful because I certainly needed to play. I wanted to feel safe while I was playing. And one of the things that Rich brought to that workshop was a solo free play circuit. And I think that was very successful. And that maybe that's, I think the reason it was successful is it set the tone that this is going to be adventuresome. It set the tone that folks are going to have autonomy and choice, which is important in all of our work. And yet there was no performance. I wasn't taking a risk to suggest what to do first in front of other people. I was simply saying, hey, I'm going to take this twirly and see if I can hit it to these five different places. And can I run around with a piece of paper on my belly? Remember the paper run? So I think that maybe there's something to that uh, around reducing the pressure by having the free play in a group setting, but it's parallel play, not group play. I think there's maybe something there to consider. And also the the benefit of that experience, as I remember it was like, it was well-spaced and there were, there were lots of options. And once again, there was some level of structure because it was like, go and play these things, but these are the things you can play. It wasn't, here is, here is an object, go figure out how to use it. You know, there was, there was that structure too. And I think that's the, where I think it's much more beneficial. If you've got options, you've got some level of structure, and then it, it creates choice and buy-in. Yeah, so there's lots of things that I'm so curious from listeners to, you know, I hope that there's some response to this, which is things like, where do you find that you want an example from your facilitator or trainer? And where would you rather be unguided? You know, where does it feel risky to have have sort of open-ended structure and where does it feel more safe and possible? Um, these are things that I don't have a lot of opportunity to think about from a participant perspective. And so I think I may have lost some perspective because as the trainers and facilitators, we always know what our intention is and what we're about to do. But that burden of mystery can be really almost too much, I think, sometimes. Thank you, Lisa. This is another wonderful topic. Thus concludes... Another episode of myself and Lisa featuring myself and Phil. That thing goes on for a long time. And if you've made it this far, I'm going to tell you a joke. Did you hear about the rainbow that got in trouble with the law? It was sent to prism. Don't worry, it got a light sentence, just enough time to reflect. I'm out. Oh, that's a mic drop if ever I've heard one. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy.